glad you are here with me this morning. It's wonderful to uh, um, just hear you sing. I say that every Sunday, but I just, I'm always overwhelmed by the sound of worship in this place, in this building, uh, and I just love it. I love what's happening. I love this time of year. I don't love the weather, however, so thanks for joining us on this cold and slippery morning. Um, so uh, uh, I have something I want to share with you all, and um, it's not an easy thing to share, but I'm going to give you some of the details, and then we're going to talk about what we're going to do about it after that. So there has become an incident that we have, the elders and myself and our missions board has become aware of uh, in Belize with Oasis Ministries and Ron Braden. Ron Braden is a missionary partner of ours, and he's someone the church has sponsored for a long time, and he's come out here uh, a couple times a year and, and speaks with us, and, and a lot of you have connections with him. Um, this is a hard thing to share, and, and I don't want to get into the details because they're sensitive in nature. The reason that I want to share with you all that there is something that's going on with Ron is because I want to ask you to be a church with me. I want to ask you to be a church with me and to pray for this situation. Our elders are looking into this, uh, and we wanted to let you know, full transparency, there's things that are happening that we're not sure about, and we're going to look into it, and, and we need your help. We need your help to pray for us that we would be wise and, and we would be God-honoring in the decisions that we come to. Uh, but there's another thing that I want to ask you about. The truth is, is we have an enemy, uh, and his name is Satan, and he loves to seek and destroy and confuse and frustrate. And one of the things that he likes to do is he likes our curiosity in certain situations like this. So as a church, I want to challenge you to resist the urge to talk about this with each other, to speculate. Don't go down that road. That's exactly what the enemy wants us to do. What I am challenging you to do is to be a church, resist the temptation to maybe come up with a story on your own or imagine what it might be and just give us your trust as we look into this. But above all, the last thing the enemy wants us to do is pray about this. So I ask you all to join us in prayer for Oasis and for Ron and, and our missions board and our elders board, elder board as we look into the situation. Can you do that for me? Can you do that for us? I knew you would. So in the name of that, let's go to the Lord now as we begin our message portion of the service. Lord Jesus, life is a tough thing. There are a lot of things in this world, in this life that we don't understand. And we are so thankful that you are a God who loves us, who cares for us, and wants what's best for us. So God, in this time, we seek you. We seek your heart and we seek your will. And we ask the th same thing that your son, Jesus Christ, asked so many years ago, that your will would be done here on earth as it is in heaven. That's our desire, Lord. So Lord, I lift up Oasis, I lift up Ron and his family. I lift up our elder board and I lift up this church. And I just ask God that you would reign supreme we are reminded, Lord, that we are not capable of defending ourselves, so we ask you to defend us against evil, protect this church, and protect this situation. And Lord, even as we move into the message, I ask that you would protect this time, that as we open your word and we look deep into it, you would impact us. You would, you would impact our hearts, and we would leave here closer, with more joy and peace in our heart, and more expectant about what you are going to do in our lives. We love you, God. We love you for who you are and what you're doing in our midst. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. 
And if you remember last week, I had a frog join me uh, in my throat, so I came prepared this morning so Jim doesn't have to run up and grab uh, water for me. So um, it's great to be here. It's great to be able to talk to you about the power of routine. This is our series that we've been going through. We've done three weeks, and we've talked about different disciplines that, is ver- that are very, very powerful in our life on a routine basis. And we get to talk about one more today. We get to talk about the fasting discipline. There's a lot of information out there about fasting, and maybe you've thought of it, maybe you haven't, but we get to explore that this morning, and I'm excited about that. Routine has the tendency of becoming stale. And, and what this series is about is the power that God unleashes in these specific routines. This is the routine um, that provides peace when, when peace doesn't make sense in our lives. These routines produce strength and clarity when everything is confusing and exhausting. These routines produce um, a, a desire for us to get out into our community, to love those people around us and to share the gospel with them. And that's why these routines are so powerful. It's because God does that through us. And if you're like me, you've probably had time in your life when your faith feels stale. You get into a rut. You feel like God is distant from you. Things are confusing you're not sure about. Or maybe sometimes there is a decision that you need to make and you desperately need to know what God has to say about it. You need a breakthrough. You need a moment of clarity. And if you just take a moment, even in today, even in our season right now as the holidays are approaching, it seems like the noise just gets louder and louder and louder. And maybe you just need to take a moment and block out all that noise and say, Lord, what do you want? Lord, what do you have for me? What do you want to say to me? These routine disciplines help us with that. And I think they can produce incredible power in your life. The more time you spend with Jesus, the more he impacts your life and the more we become like him. That's why religion and faith can't be just a Sunday morning ordeal. And when it becomes stale, when you get into a rut, it does. It it compartmentalizes. You have your faith, and you have your work, and you have your family, and you have your extracurricular activities. But that's not the way God wants it. God wants faith to be encompassing, saturating every aspect of our life. So the more time we spend with him, the more he breaks us out of this rut. This morning, we get to talk about the routine of fasting and why that is such a powerful thing. You know, a few years ago, God put an idea in my head. It was really more of an option he put in my, in my heart. And this is one of those things that you feel, and when, you, when it goes from your heart to your head, your head goes, you got to be crazy. <laughs> that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. That's, that's irrational. It's illogical. And my head is screaming at my heart. And my heart is going, yeah, but I really think God wants me to. And my head's going, that's nonsense. And I had this big question in my life. And I went to my wife and I said, what about this thing? And she went, whoa, that doesn't make any sense. And we put our heads together and we decided we need a breakthrough. We need a moment of clarity to really decide if this thing that I'm feeling is from God or if it's just some crazy idea. 
And so what we decided to do is we decided to fast. We decided to take 24 hours and not eat food. And when we felt hungry, we were going to say, Lord, this idea, is this from you? When we felt weak later in the day because you haven't had anything to eat and life seems to be overwhelming and you feel weak and exhausted, we were going to say, Lord, is this from you or is this something else? The thing that he put in my head was this church. We had just moved from Washington State to Denver. God had ended my time in the company that I worked in Washington very quickly, and it left us panicked and unsure of our future. And then God provided this wonderful opportunity in Denver, and we moved to Denver, and I became the executive pastor of a church there. And we got into the community, we made friends, we bought a house, everything was settling down, the noise was quieting. And in the depth of my heart, God said, I have a church for you. And I went, yes, Lord, I'm so thankful for the church that I'm in. And he said, no, 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 I have a different church for you. (laughs) And my head said, that's crazy. You've only been here 10 months. That's crazy. And so I took this time with my wife to say, Lord, is this you or not? Is this your idea or is this craziness? Because if it is you, everything is going to be disrupted. We're going to have to pull our kids out of school. We're going to have to say goodbye to family. We're going to have to quit a job that I just started. We're going to have to sell a house that we just bought. (laughs) All of these things. And in that 24-hour period of fasting, God did several things that we would have missed if we weren't focused on him. And that's when the breakthrough happened. And we went, oh, he really wants us to do this. And the fear set in. And the anxiety. And what if, what if, what if, what if happened? But we knew, based on that 24-hour period, that this is what God wanted. We sought an answer. We needed a breakthrough. And he gave us that. Have you ever felt that you needed a breakthrough? Maybe you need a breakthrough right now. Have you ever wondered, God, what is going on? The noise is so loud, I don't even have five minutes, it feels like, to spend time with you. What is going on? Am I headed the right way? Am I making the right decisions? Is my life where you want it to be? Am I even living where you want me to live? Am I impacting the people around me the way you want me to? Lucky for us, Many, many, many people in Scripture have asked this question. In fact, almost every person in Scripture at some point asked this question. And it's recorded right here in his word. And we get to examine person after person after person that asked these questions and how they came up with the answers that they came up with. Fasting is one of those interesting things in Scripture. It always seems to come with a big decision. And it's not really talked about a whole lot. But here's some examples I want to share with you. Really quickly, we're going to cover a lot of Old Testament ground. So if you're the note taker, get ready. Maybe work your fingers out, like, because it's going to be quick. Moses, way back, Moses fasted for 40 days before he went to the mountaintop and received the law that God gave him for the nation of Israel. This is where we get the law, the, the Old Testament law. So for 40 days, Moses didn't eat, and it even says in Scripture, um, this is 
Deuteronomy 9, if you want to go look at it, that he didn't even drink. And you go, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> you can't live. <laughs> you can't live like four or five days without liquid or food, let alone 40. How did that work? It was miraculous. So God gave him the strength to weaken himself in order to listen to God to write the law. Interesting. Go look at it. It's interesting. David fasted while his child that he had with, with Bathsheba lay sick and dying. He fasted, and he cried out to God that God would spare this child's life. You can read about that in 2 Samuel 12. God didn't answer David's prayer. The sin between David and Bathsheba resulted in this child's death. And David underwent that process. Ezra, after the nation was in exile and came back to the promised land, Ezra fasted over the sin of Israel. So before Ezra went to the nation of Israel and said, hey, you guys, you got some stuff you got to work out. Before he did that, he fasted. You can read about that in Ezra chapter 10. And Esther, when she discovered that her nation, the nation of Israel, her, her nationality, her people were at risk of being killed. There was a plot in the kingdom. She fasted to desperately try to hear from God what he wanted. You can read about that in Esther chapter 4. This is an interesting one. So Daniel, he's in captivity. And a trick, if you, you know Daniel in the lion's den, a trick happened and someone ensnared him and he was caught praying to God. And he was thrown into a pit of lions. Darius, King Darius, Daniel's friend and ruler of the time, fasted for Daniel's safety. Isn't that interesting? And then later in that same book, that's Daniel 6. And Daniel 10, Daniel fasted for three weeks over a vision that he had. He had a vision. He didn't know what it meant. And he said, I need to know what this means. I'm going to fast. Three weeks he fasted before he understood the meaning of it. If you fast forward a couple hundred years, the first century, Jesus is on the scene. And he's been brought up in the home of Joseph and Mary, and he's become a man. And now it's time for him to launch his earthly ministry. Let's read about that one. We're going to take a little bit closer look at that. This is Matthew. In your Bible, the first gospel that you'll find in the New Testament. This is Matthew chapter 4. We're going to read 1 through 4, or 3a. That means we're going to end right in the middle of the verse. This is what it says. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Okay, kind of a bizarre statement. Verse 2, even more bizarre. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. <laughs> yeah, I'll bet he was. He was hungry. Verse 3, the tempter, or Satan, came to him and said what the enemy said. And we're going to stop right there. Read the passage. Read it at home. It's a fascinating story of the way the devil came to Jesus and tempted him. But listen to this. Just think about this for a second. My mom always said, whenever you have a big test coming, the two things that you need, you need at least eight hours of sleep, and you, she would call it, you need a hearty breakfast. Hearty breakfast. She sometimes even called it brain food. When you get some brain food going, your mind needs to be alert, you need to be rested, strong, ready to face the test. 
I can remember taking the SATs. I don't remember the ACTs. Never mind about why. Don't, I took the SATs, and I just, it was the worst score. I don't even remember. I don't even remember the score. It was so bad. And I did all this. So I'm not advocating that that will give you a good score. But I'm just saying, usually when a test is coming, usually when something difficult is coming, you prepare for it. And you get rest, and you become strong, and you eat good food, and, and your body is going to be tested, and your mind needs to be alert. In almost every one of these examples, these men and women fasted before the test, including Jesus. It's going to be really hard. Satan is going to tempt you, and it's going to really try you, and you're going to really know your stuff, and you've got to be alert, and you've got to be on top of your game, and, and, and it's going to be hard. So you know what you should do. Weaken yourself for 40 days and 40 nights. How does this make sense? Why would Jesus do that? Why would Moses fast before he heard from God? Why would Ezra fast before he had to convince the nation of Israel that they were sinning and needed, that sin needed to be addressed? It's, it's an enigma. Why would you do that? Well, lucky again for us, Matthew 6, this is the Sermon on the Mount. One of the first things that Jesus does in Matthew's gospel is share with us his understanding and, and his advice about fasting. So if you just fast forward in that book you're in, to Matthew chapter 6, we'll start in verse 16. And Jesus says, these are his words, when you fast, you could, you could underline when, not if, not even how, but when. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you fast, put on oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Sounds a lot like his advice about prayer. Do it in private. Your motivation, it's like a motivation check here. Your motives for fasting is not to impress. It's not external. It's between you and God. And Jesus says when. You could go through scripture and do a study on how many people fasted. I didn't have time <laughs> because there's so many of them. Jesus is not even commanding you to fast. It's like an assumption. He's assuming that life is going to be so overwhelming. You're going to have so many questions. You're going to be so frustrated. You're going to not know what end is up that you are desperately going to need advice from the Father. And he said the same thing that he said about prayer. Do this in private. This is not anybody's business but your own and your father. And when your father sees this, what you do in private, he will reward you. Jesus says, go into your room, close your door, speak to your father who is unseen, and when he sees that, he will reward you. It's not about motives. It's not about, it's, the motive isn't about what people's attention they're going to give you. It's not about being heard because he says earlier, listen, God knows what you need before you even, you even ask him. It's not about displaying what you need. This is a personal thing. It's private. It's not, you're not here to impress, and you, and you don't force God's hand into giving you an answer. 
I've been praying for months on this thing, but I'm going to fast now, and that's going to force God to give me an answer. No, there's no formula for getting God to answer because God knows what you need before you ask. So why fast? Why in the world would we put ourselves through that? Why in the world did these people put themselves through this difficult and exhausting discipline before the test? It's an interesting question. Why does Jesus say when and not if you fast? The reason we are to fast is the same reason we pray in private. It's the same reason that we are to allow God's word to absorb into us, to to soak through us to our complete depths of our heart. It's the same reason. The reason is when you apply intimate prayer, powerful scripture, and desperate fasting, it softens your heart in preparation for God's will in your life. That's right. You need to be weak before the test. You need to understand that if you're going to make it through the temptations the enemy is going to send your way, you have to be broken. You have to be so utterly dependent on God that you can't go anywhere else. You don't have the capacity to do anything else but trust him. You see, Moses got this. And Moses thought, listen, if you're going to ask me, I mean, I talked to Pharaoh. I did all kinds of miraculous things. I, we got through the Red Sea without getting killed by Pharaoh's army. We, we saw manna fall from heaven. God's spirit hovered above us like a, like a torch at night and like a cloud during the day. And, and I saw miracle after miracle after miracle. This is Moses' life. When it came time to listen to God, he said, listen, I need to be broken. I need to be weak. I need to be utterly desperate. And I need to know one thing. And if you remember, it's the third category of the Lord's Prayer. You guys remember the third category? No, well, don't worry. I'm not going to test you. Don't worry. Anxiety started to go up a little bit. No, it's okay. It's okay. The first concept of the Lord's Prayer was declaring his greatness. This is our Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be your name, Jesus says. Hallowed be your name. I'm, I'm declaring your great before me. That's what I want to do. That's the first thing. And the second thing in his, in his prayer is that he surrenders his will. He says, not, not my will, but your will be done on, on earth here with among us like it's done in heaven. That's what I want. And that's the prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. I don't want to do this, Lord. Take this cup from me, but not my will, but your will. That's the second thing in the Lord's Prayer. And the third is the motivation to fast and the motivation to pray and the motivation to let God's word sink deep within us. And it's to acknowledge our dependence on the Father. This is the portion of the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. And this is also the section that says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And it's also the section that says, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. It's all the same thing. We cannot take another step. Our heart can't beat one more time. Our lungs cannot fill with air one more time without the Father. And Jesus says when you pray and when you fast, 
And when you study his word, you need to know that. Look at all the great people in scripture knew they needed to be broken before they could meet the test. They needed to be broken. Jesus himself, the son of God, said, I need to be weak before I can pass the test that the enemy is going to send my way. Oh, that's countercultural. <laughs> you see, where I come from, you pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You get it done. You build it to last. You are tough. You are strong. By these hands, I can accomplish. And it's me, myself, and my own. I don't need anybody for anything. That's not the way that God asks us to approach him. And it's not the way that these great people in Scripture uh, approach their biggest tests. David, as this child is writhing in pain, says, Lord, I need to be weak before you. I don't want this to happen, and you need to know I'm putting this stuff aside in order that I might hear from you, that I might learn from you, that your will might be done. And this is why in that chapter, as soon as the son died, David got up, and he washed, and he ate. Because he said, okay, I know. I know what God wanted. And it wasn't for that child to live. Brutal. Desperate. Broken. This is the path. Fasting is saying physically, I need you, Lord, and your influence more than what I'm fasting from. That's what it says. It's the Greek word, nestuo, and it just means without food. But we see in Scripture other times where people have fasted from things other than food. In fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, that abstaining from the physical relationship of your, of, with your wife and your husband in marriage is, is good to do every now and then in order that you might understand God's will. How about that? <laughs> Wives, you can't use that. It's not an excuse. I'm going to set this thing aside that I need in order to understand what you want. That's what fasting is. People give up all sorts of things as symbolic fasts. I have a friend. I call him a friend. He probably just knows me as an acquaintance. <laughs> He's made a vow to go barefoot as long as children are trafficked. He's been without shoes for going on five years. And he travels all across the globe to tell people how much Jesus loves these little children that get sold into slavery. And he told me a story about going to Anchorage, Alaska in the dead of the winter. And he was supposed to speak. And they said, listen, you don't understand what's going to happen to your feet. And he said, yes, I do. I understand. But I am fasting from that comfort as long as these children are being used. That's power. That's powerful. People fast from all sorts of things in order to demonstrate the brokenness that it takes to allow God to fill you up and to give you the strength that he requires. 
So what do we need to do? And I need to zoom out for a minute and take a look at the whole series. Why do we need to pray? Why do we need to understand and let absorb God's word in order to know him? Why do we need to fast? What's the purpose of all this? You know, my life's pretty comfortable without these things. Why do I need to do this? And why do I need to do these things on a routine basis? What's the point? Applying all or even one of these routines in your life will give you clarity when you need it. It'll give you direction and hope we all so desperately need. It reminds us of our dependence on God and his will for our life. It softens our heart. And if you're like me, my heart gets fat, hard really fast. Like it takes like an hour for my heart to get hard. My heart to get hard. And I need this on a routine basis to soften, to break down the hardness. It prepares me for what God would have for me. So why do we need to do it? If you keep going down the rut path, if you keep going down the, the same old, my, my church life, my work life, my family life, and we'll just keep all those separate, that compartmentalized faith, if you keep walking down that path, God is going to feel, it's important that we know he's not, but he's going to feel distant. When life throws tragedy or confusion or frustration our way, we're not going to have a rudder. The enemy wins. That enemy we prayed against in the beginning of the service. And the enemy that, that Jesus says, Lord, don't lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. That enemy, he wants you to come on Sunday morning. He does. And he wants you just to sit happy, content, Everything's fine. In fact, come back next week too. And just, just keep coming. And just leave your faith on Sunday morning while the world sleeps, right? He would be fine with that. And if we keep going down this rut, he wins in that way. And he allows us to become so comfortably numb that we are rendered useless for the kingdom. And I believe there are wonderful people in this world that love Jesus deeply, that are completely useless for the kingdom because they've fallen asleep and they've sat in this rut for so long they can't get out of it. And this is what these routines do. They break you out of the rut on a routine basis and they reintroduce you to God's will over and over and over and over. Fasting breaks down your strength and your self-sufficiency. And it reminds you of your dependence on the Father. And if you do them, if you routinely pray fast and absorb Scripture, you will follow the path of millions of Christians and Jesus Christ himself. These routines will soften you and God will mold you into the instrument of his desire. I had a friend say to me at Life Group last week, I'm going to call her out and embarrass her. I won't tell you her name. She said God moved in her. 
and told her that she needed to go to somebody and have an awkward conversation at work. And then she described the conversation, and it was very awkward. <laughs> I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. Okay, I'm, I'm stepping out here. I'm doing this, and I'm just going to let you take care of it. She doesn't know where that conversation is going to go. She doesn't know if it's going to go anywhere. But she submitted herself to God's will, and God is going to take care of the rest. If you do this, your heart will start to be like Jesus' heart. And you'll start to see the things that he sees. And you'll start to feel the things that he feels. This is why they're powerful. This is why they change our life from the inside out. This is why when we apply intimate prayer, powerful scripture, and desperate fasting, it softens our heart in preparation for God's will. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus. God, it is so counter cultural, counterintuitive, counterlogic that we need to be weak before you in order to understand. Every fiber of our being tells us we need to be strong in and of ourselves. We need to choose right and wrong. We need to be the ones that pull us ourselves up from our bootstraps. We shouldn't need anyone or anything. That's what our world and our bodies tell us. But God, you speak a different secret in our ears. And God, we're so thankful that we have example after example after example of mighty men and mighty women breaking down their own will in order to allow you to work through them. God, I ask that we would be a church of prayer warriors, that we would be a church that absorbs scripture so much, we know exactly what you want, and we would be a church that fasts regularly, in order to understand your will over our own. God, I ask that you would soften our heart, that you would break us down, and you would show us how dependent we are on you. We love you, Jesus, and we are so excited to see you work through us and for your gospel to go out of us into this community. In your name, amen.